One of the movies that Mary and I used to love to watch is this movie called Last of the Mohicans. Actually, as I thought about it, this is probably the perfect movie for Mary and I. It's got both action and romance, so, so both of us end up satisfied. But in this movie, there's a point where the main heroine, Cora, is captured by the Huron tribe. And in order to effect her release, uh, Hawkeye, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, offers himself in exchange for her. But in an unexpected twist, the British soldier Duncan Hayward, who up until now has been incredibly unlikable throughout the whole movie, he instead gives himself for Cora. Uh, and, and in giving himself into the Huron hand, hands, he dies for Cora's freedom. Now Cora has a sister Alice who had also been captured and Hawkeye and his companions chase after the Huron who are leading her away from the camp. And upon catching up to them, Uncas, who is the last of the Mohicans and who has been quietly falling in love with Alice throughout the movie, he fights the Huron leader for her. But unfortunately, Uncas is killed in the fight and Alice, rather than live without him, steps off the cliff to her own death. Now each of these deaths is really a self-sacrifice. Each of them, Duncan, Uncas and Alice, each of them recognise that there are some things that are worth dying for. Be that love, liberty, dignity, freedom or whatever else it might be. And when you think about other great movies and their stories, you often see the same idea. Whether it's Gandalf fighting the Balrog in Lord of the Rings, Dumbledore in Harry Potter, Neo in The Matrix, Maximus Aurelius in, in Gladiator, William Wallace in Braveheart, or as we watched you know, just last night with the family, Flynn Rider in Tangled, or, or a host of others. There, there are these heroes who are the heroes of the story precisely because they sacrifice their lives for the sake of something greater. That's what makes them the hero. Now, in working through the book of Acts, we have transitioned from Peter being the main focus of, of the story to now Paul. And in our passage for today, Acts chapter 14, we see that Paul values the cause of the gospel and of its spread to the Gentiles more than he values his own life. He recognises that there are some things that are worth dying for. And so he's willing to sacrifice his life for the sake of something bigger, something greater, something grander than himself. Last week in Acts 13, Paul was in Pisidian Antioch, preaching primarily to Jews. In chapter 14, he remains in this province, this region of Galatia, and continues his practice of speaking first in the Jewish synagogue. But we see him increasingly sharing the gospel with Gentiles. Let's look at it together from Acts 14. Verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks believed. But the other Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. 
But they found out about it, and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. Now let's note a couple of things uh, from these verses so far. Paul and Barnabas preach the good news of Jesus so that a great number believe. But in a way that echoes our own time, there are those who refused to believe. There's this sense of willfulness in this description, that they actively refused. And the word actually is literally that they disobeyed. Now we know that the gospel is good news, offering life, joy, freedom, fullness, forgiveness and relationship with God. But as Jesus himself said, it is a message that is divisive. There's no room for neutrality. And in our day, as in Paul's, we see hostility result from the message of Jesus. But note this in verse 3. It is because of this very hostility that Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. There were these new converts who needed to, to be grounded and grown in their faith so as to be able to stand in the face of hostility and of false witness. So no doubt their time was unpleasant there, but Paul and Barnabas stayed there to invest into these new followers of Jesus. They stayed there until they could no longer do so. And another thing to note before we move on, because this plays into the events that are recounted next. In verse 3, it goes on to say that they were speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Now, we can easily get drawn in by the miraculous. I mean, after all, it's incredible. It's exciting. You know, and it's this demonstration of the power of God um, and the power of the God that we've put our faith in. But in what we see here, the miracles are actually secondary. What is primary is the message of God's grace. A message that God then confirms by miraculous signs. Now, a sign is not the thing in and of itself. Rather, it points to the thing, which in this case is the gospel. When, when this gets distorted, when the order gets messed up, as what happens next, things quickly go south. But it's the word and the message of the gospel that's primary that the signs then confirm. And so, Paul and Barnabas end up then fleeing Iconium continuing to preach the gospel as they go. And they find their way then first to Lystra. Now in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. This is verse 8. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So just know that, that this all happened in the context of Paul speaking. The message came first, and in the context of that message, as a demonstration of the authority and the power of the word that, that he was preaching, a miracle occurred. The healing is actually almost incidental to Paul's primary ministry here. He has the word and the wonders in the right order of priority and significance. It's about him preaching the word. But as it unfortunately turns out for him, the crowd mixed up this value of word and wonder. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. 
The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without a testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. See, the crowd misunderstood the sign. There was a legend from earlier time that Zeus and Hermes had come down to this region before and they had been ignored and overlooked by everyone except for this peasant couple. The crowd seemed eager not to make that same mistake again. And they see in the miraculous healing of this lame man an indication that the gods have returned in the persons of Paul and Barnabas. The crowd makes much of the sign rather than the message that it points to and confirms. But Paul and Barnabas assert that they are no different than anyone else, that they are just mere men, but who are bringing the good news that the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, that he has shown kindness in the natural world to them. And ultimately now in the message that he's sharing, he's shown kindness to them in Jesus. Well then, things take an ugly turn. Having managed to persuade them not to offer sacrifices to them, in verse 19 we read that then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, not sacrificed to him now, but they stoned him and dragged him outside the city thinking that he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. This earlier plan concocted in Iconium to mistreat and stone Paul and Barnabas is now put into effect in Lystra. After having been fated as a god, Paul has stones thrown at him to the point where they thought him dead. This is the same man who, who stood giving his approval at the stoning of Stephen, now himself on the receiving end of, of this punishment and judgment. Now, don't miss this. He was dragged out of the city because they thought he was dead. Paul had taken an absolute beating. The, the subsequent report that he got up and went back into the city is, is seriously understated. He was beaten and battered, no doubt with cuts and scrapes, bones potentially broken. He could be concussed. Presumably he'd fallen unconscious and he wakes sore and in pain. It's perhaps as much of a miracle that he didn't die. Now for, for many of us, if not most of us, that would be sufficient grounds for us to pull back a bit, wouldn't it? I mean, we'd say to ourselves, Let, let's just take it easy for a while. Let's heal up and wait for things to calm down. And then, you know, we'll review our approach and perhaps do things a bit differently going forward so that we don't find ourselves in such a state again. But that's not what Paul does. 
He recognizes that there are some things that are worth dying for. And so he is willing to sacrifice his life for the sake of something bigger, greater, grander than himself. So after limping back to the city for the night, he heads off the next day to another town to continue the work undaunted. In verse 21 we read, They preached the gospel in that city, so now Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, said, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. Paul and Barnabas now are retracing their steps, uh, going back to all the places where they've planted churches as they've been out on this missionary journey. And as they do so, they strengthen and encourage the disciples. And just as throughout Acts we have summary samples of their preaching, so here we have a summary of their message as they seek to build up these churches. Let's read it again. They say, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Living as a Christian is not easy. Paul nearly died, repeatedly in fact, until finally he was executed. But even before such literal death, there can be lots of little deaths along the way. There can be death to freedom of speech, death to giving the angry response to someone that you really want to give, death to speaking dishonestly, death to popularity, death to friendships and even family relationships, death to doing as you please, death to trying to control God. The, these little deaths that we face all the time. We may not have a moment like Paul where we face our literal physical death, but, but there are many moments where we have many of these little deaths that are a lot like the dying to self that Jesus talked about. And this, this message of dying, all these kind of little deaths, this is the message that Paul and Barnabas shared to the churches for their encouragement. It seems counterintuitive, but, but think about it. If you were told, you know what, being Christian's easy, it's a breeze, following Jesus, it's, it's the easiest, best thing ever. If you were told that, and then persecution, suffering, unanswered prayer, unconquered sin, confusing circumstances, if these things then come, well, where does that leave your faith? It's vulnerable and at risk in fact because what was promised is not what you are experiencing but if you are told as Paul and Barnabas told these disciples if you are told that you must go through hardships and many hardships to live under the rule and reign of Jesus hardships in your own life as you wrestle with sin and pursue godliness hardships in your relationships as people misunderstand reject or antagonize you, and hardships in society in general as Christianity is, is discounted and its moral stance is trivialized, then when those things come, you're ready, you're prepared, there's no false expectations, and your faith then is not so much challenged as it is confirmed. I mean, think about Paul. If anyone had cause to walk away from following Jesus, he was the guy. He gets stoned, 
beaten, imprisoned, falsely accused, kicked out of town, whipped, and ultimately killed for his faith in Christ. There is serious motivation for Paul to rethink how he's living. But he knew that he was experiencing the sufferings of Christ. He knew that such hardships were forming him to be more like his saviour. And he knew that there were things that were more valuable, more important, more significant than his life and his own well-being. And as he lived in such a way, he demonstrated to others the supreme value of knowing, loving and following Jesus. As he lived in such a way, he proved that Jesus was worth it. That the benefit of following him far outweighed the cost. And he wanted the churches that he planted, as well as the church today, to know that too. Well, let's just hold on to that thought as we finish the passage. Verse 24, After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From Atalia, perhaps, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Paul and Barnabas make it back to where they had started from. This is the end of Paul's first missionary journey. And what they report back on is all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This leads into the next chapter that David will address next week, the implications of the gospel moving beyond its Jewish roots and out into the wider Gentile world. And it's this, this movement of the gospel to spread across the world, to, to go beyond the Jews into the Gentile population. This is what Paul was willing to die for. He expressed to the Romans that he was willing to be cut off from the people of God if by his sacrifice it would save his fellow Jews. And we see by his actions that he feels the same way about the Gentiles as he continually puts his life literally on the line to continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to them. He knew that God had made him an ambassador of Christ to make him known where his name had not yet been heard. And for Paul, this was a bigger, better, grander thing to live for than even his own life. He was prepared to die the small deaths to live for Christ. And he was prepared to ultimately die to be with Christ. He held his life lightly because he held on to Jesus tightly. Now we know that the ultimate hero of this story is not actually Paul. But it's Jesus himself. He gave up his life that we might live. The writer to the Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Now, cross and joy, they are not two words that, that naturally go together. But Jesus knew what his death was achieving. Our salvation. He had plenty of opportunities where he could have chosen to get off the path that was leading to the cross, but he knew that there are some things that are worth dying for. And that was us. So it prompts us to ask the question, are we willing to die for Jesus? He died for us. Are we willing to die for him? And I realize asking it like that, 
In lots of ways, it's a pretty unrealistic question in that we're not likely to be in a situation where our very lives are at risk because of our faith. So what I mean in asking that is, are we willing to die many little deaths for Jesus? Are we willing to suffer the small daily deaths to self that following him and giving our lives to him entail? I can't remember who said it, but there's that quote that says that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Paul understood this. And he was willing to lay down his life for one he knew to be far bigger, better and grander than himself. Maybe we could phrase it, the question positively. Are we willing to totally live for Jesus? Not so that we become the hero of the story, but to point to and to become like the one who is. To become like our saviour Jesus who died for us. Let's pray that we will do so. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the realism of it that offers us encouragement by this message of hardship. To know that following you will not be easy, but will entail lots of deaths. And God, I pray that we would be willing to pay that price. That we'd be willing to so live for you that... Uh, all that we have to give up, all that we have to die to, would be uh, rightly seen as nothing in comparison to having you. That we'd have this perspective of Paul that there is someone, not even just something, but someone who is bigger, better, grander, who is worth living for, and that is you, our glorious Saviour, Jesus. And so we pray, by your Spirit, Jesus, enable us to live for you. Give us the courage that we need to face all that comes. Help us to die the, the little deaths, the deaths to our old self, that we may walk more fully in the new life that you have for us. And as we do so, God, uh, may the word of life and salvation in Jesus spread further and further afield uh, through our witness to him. We pray this in Jesus' name.